much. Um, I didn't hear any of that because I was having my mic done, so Clued could introduce me in any way, shape or form, and I'd have no idea, which I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, last time at London Hug, you had Brian Halligan. Uh, this time, you've got a northerner who speaks too fast and is only just big enough to see over the top of this lectern, so I apologise in advance. People at the back of the room, I do exist. Uh, good morning. Um, when Clued asked me to come and speak um, at, at this event, I, I started to think about the thing that I could um, speak about that would give the most value to everybody here. Um, I've been to hugs before, but I've never, I've never spoken at one. Um, and it normally you know, there's a mixture of people in the room. There's um, technology side, there's people from HubSpot, there's agency side, um, and there's end user clients or people who are interested in HubSpot. But I thought the thing that um, it will eventually unite us all in some way, shape, or form is um, the, the relationship between clients and agencies, right? So I, I genuinely believe, how, how many agencies or technology side people are here? There's a quick hands up. Audience participation is the most hated phrase in the English language, but that's the only one I'll be. Okay, so, so relax. Um, this is not a, uh, an anti-agency uh, uh, pitch by any means. Um, I genuinely believe that the agency-client relationship is, is one of the most important relationships that you, you could have. Um, it, it is a relationship that can um, really impact your bottom line as a marketer. If you're in marketing or a salesperson, it can make your career fly if you get a good one. Um, so leveraging that agency-client relationship properly and making it work um, in, in, a, in, a, in an ideal manner um, is a big advantage for businesses. And yet, you know, we've all been in, um, we've probably all been in supplier-side relationships that haven't quite gone as planned. We've, we've all taken on technology and kicked it out at some point. Um, so what's going, what, go, what goes wrong and how can we make it, how can we make it go more right? Um, so that's the title, but really the topic is, is agency-client relationships in general. And, you know, sort of think of it as, um, if, you, if you watch Channel 4's The Secret Life of the Zoo, think of this as uh, The Secret Life of the Zoo, um, but for agencies. And using The Secret Life of the Zoo means that I can put animals in the presentation, um, which is never a bad thing, as we've already, uh, we've already seen from, uh, from Adam's presentation. Um, if you don't watch The Secret Life of the Zoo, by the way, there's no need by the time you finish the presentation. Right? It's, it's, it's all here. It's all here. Um, so um, a, a bit of background of why I think I'm qualified to speak on this. I think I could say something about this. So I, I, I recently left an agency as head of digital. So I, I'd been there six and a half years. Um, I, very recently, in fact, at the end of August, um, I, I left that agency. Uh, when I started, that agency were a, uh, a local regional agency who were doing things like outsourcing SEO to another agency because they didn't have in-house expertise. And over the last six and a half years, um, we've changed how that agency works. Um, to the point where it's now a HubSpot Platinum agency. Um, it's you know, set up as a, a much more successful, um, significant business, uh, ready to sort of kick on and, and grow further. And my remit over that time has changed from things like uh, building the SEO function to being the salesperson to uh, making sure that our clients were happy. Um, as head of digital, the, the, the job role is basically do anything that the agency needs in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, across the sort of agency client piece, I've, I've seen it all. Um, nowadays, um, I sort of straddle both sides. Uh, while I was at the agency, by the way, also uh, my partner was a client of the agency. So not only did I see it from the client side, I then got home and got told what it was really like to be a client of the agency. So I saw it from that side too. Um, nowadays, um, I do copywriting and consulting um, for agencies, for their clients, direct to businesses, which means typically I spend my time on, on that sort of thing as a, as a freelancer. Um, as I said, you know, we've covered this already, really. Um, if you've had a bad agency client experience, um, let's use this to sort of look at some ways to make sure that never happens again. If you've got a good um, client agency relationship, great. Um, let's do some things to make sure that we can leverage that further and improve it even more. 
So before we go into sort of looking at how we can improve things, how we can make things better, um, just want to spend a, a couple of minutes exploring um, what can go wrong in an agency-client relationship. And you know, if, if you've had one that, that hasn't gone 100% right, these might not be the problems that you experienced, but, but these two things are, are sort of common scenarios where nobody's done anything particularly wrong, um, but the client-agency relationship, for whatever reason, um, just hasn't, hasn't quite worked out. And th these are two ways that that can happen. So when, um, uh, when an agency starts to engage with clients, um, the agency will have um, a, an ideal fit. They'll have a target market that they want to work with. And if you work with HubSpot, you, know, you may well have a buyer persona that you, that you have as a, as a client-side business. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing nefarious. You know, defining the clients that you want to work with is good practice, whether you are an agency um, or a business. Um, and so at the start of the relationship, the agency will want to know everything about you and will want to try to make sure that, they, that you're a good fit and they can deliver for you and they're going to make sure that they hit your, your sales goals. The, the problem comes when uh, you know, we're, we're all in business, we all, we're all in it to make money, whether we're an agency or a, or a business outside of an agency. So the problem comes when um, somebody who's a close friend of the agency approaches the agency and said, oh, I'd really like to do business with you. Or somebody with a large budget approaches the agency and said, I'd really like to do business with you. And then you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's very tempting for the agency to, to engage with that client, even if they're not an ideal fit. And it, you know, again, to come back to the whole idea around buyer personas, they're, they're a guide. Uh, you know, they're a guide to uh, who we work really well with or who you work really well with. Um, but it's okay to depart from that as long as you're sure you can deliver. Sometimes, um, from the agency side of things, it can be tempting to depart from it, and maybe it's it's not as easy to deliver what the client wants if the fit isn't there with the agency. Um, equally, um, client side, um, you know, I'm sure you would all love to, uh, when you're hiring an agency, to see eight agencies in an eight-week tender process. Um, but unless you're in government or healthcare, uh, that's probably not really realistic when your day-to-day -day life is trying to uh, make your marketing sing and get everything done and get the PR release out and publish five blogs. Um, so you end up going with the agency that you know or an agency that somebody's recommended or the agency with the best reviews. And maybe, you know, if, if we'd have had those eight weeks and eight agency tender process, you could have found somebody that, that, that fitted better. So it, that's just two examples of how you, you sort of end up in this scenario where uh, you want apples, the agency's offering oranges. Um, there's nothing wrong with either business. It's just not a particularly good fit. And I've been very careful to avoid using this word so far, but what we're sort of talking about here, rather than being bad, is, is the idea of suitability, right? So I genuinely believe there are very few bad agencies out there because bad agencies just do not exist for very long. Um, if you are a bad agency, there is, there is too much noise around how bad you are for you to stay in business for a, for a long time. And if you do stay in business, you just stay in business to exist. Um, you don't really you know, go out and push on and, and, and grow more and more um, during your, your time as, a, as an agency. So the topic that we're really talking about, um, I think it's probably better termed you know, suitable versus unsuitable, uh, finding the best fit agency for you as a client, um, as an agency, finding clients that you can deliver for time and time again productively, um, uh, which is obviously going to have great results for you as an agency. Um, having said that, just to uh, obfuscate things even more, um, if you are an agency and the client terms you unsuitable, clients will not refer to you as unsuitable. They will refer to you as bad. Um, in their conversations with connections, with people that they talk to, um, you will be termed a bad agency that did not produce results. So there's something in this for, from, for the agencies in the room or the technology providers, um, there's something in this to you know, focus on the suitability, the, the, the fit um, of, the, of the clients um, you go out and, and acquire. 
So that's the intro. That's how, how these uh, how these things can happen again with, with no fault on either side. But that's how these things can sometimes happen um, with relations between clients and agencies. Um, back to the important stuff. Uh, Secret life of Zoom. Um, the, the way uh, to do this, I'm going to do this from, from this point forward, is just explore three things that I think would, would improve um, agency-client relationships that could happen um, sort of during the pre-sales uh, bit or during early engagements between agencies and clients. Um, and again, this comes, uh, the, these come mainly from um, my time as head of digital of seeing how uh, we improved client interactions over time, things that we did right, things that we did wrong, um, uh, things, that, things that helped us basically during, uh, during my time doing that. Um, so uh, problem number one. No one talks about who's going to move the snake. So this refers to an episode of The Secret Life of the Zoo where some wise person who probably had nothing to do with the animals and was based in an office far away from, from that decided that what they were going to do was take the 12-foot-long reticulated python out of its perfectly good cage and give it a health check. This is an animal that is described on the zoo's website as man-eating and the most dangerous animal in the zoo. Right? So... Great idea by somebody up there. And at this point during the episode of The Secret Life of the Zoo, I'm starting to think this is only going one way. We're about to watch a very dark and grim episode of The Secret Life of the Zoo, uh, which is completely unexpected. Uh, we're heading towards this sort of territory. And uh, just to help sort of signpost what's going on uh, in this scenario, I've annotated that picture for you just to give you a bit more information on the, on the various roles that are at play in, uh, in this. So after the shock of, um, of the fact that this, uh, this snake is, uh, is out of its cage and is being held down by um, some individuals who are questioning why they chose their particular path in life, the, the, the logical part of my mind um, starts to ask questions like, when they were interviewed, did anyone tell these people that this is what they would be doing? You know, are they qualified? Like, do you go to school to learn how to wrestle a reticulated python that's 12 foot long and, 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 and is described as man-eating? Um, are they aware that if they get this wrong, there's some serious consequences for... Uh, I, I'm actually not sure which end the head is anymore. When I did this, I thought it was that end, but now I'm not so sure. So when they, when, when they uh, start to do this, was, were they aware of the consequences if they, if they let go of this python? And if you haven't spotted this massive metaphor coming, what we're actually talking about here is not the reticulated python. What we're talking about here is your marketing and the people that you're handing it over to uh, when you hire an agency. Um, so gen gen as with probably most things in business, genuinely, I genuinely think that one of the things that goes wrong between client and agency relations is, is a people thing. It's, um, it's not enough of the right people involved or it's the right people not spending enough time on the project. Um, it's uh, a, a, a gap between um, getting an agency really into you as a client or vice versa, whichever, whichever sort of side you, you want to put it on. Um, if, you've, if you've ever listened to a pitch by an agency or you've been in an agency pitch, um, you might have heard some of these. And I, I, I certainly have said some of these in, in pitches to clients. You know, these, are, these are common agency um, ways of talking. And they're, they're all perfectly you know, good ways of representing agencies. They're all perfectly accurate. But our senior designer has an insert award here. It doesn't matter if that senior designer's job is to manage the design team. Um, if that senior designer is not going to be doing the design work, then you know, that, that, that statement is meaningless. And you can go down that and sort of, um, and sort of tick them all off as if that person isn't involved um, or if, you know, if, if that pod isn't any good, um, then those statements can ultimately be meaningless unless you've got the, the right people involved. Um, so I would argue that what you want to get to as either agency or client is this sort of situation where you, you know everybody who is going to be on your team. Um, 
you wouldn't hire people into your business without so much as knowing their names. Um, and I would, uh, uh, and you certainly wouldn't hand over the keys to something as important uh, as your marketing. Um, the agency should have done some of the vetting on the team that is going to work. That's you know that, that's their job. Gonna, they should be hiring good people. Um, but that doesn't mean that as a client on the client side you can ignore it completely. You know you know your business better than the agency, no matter how much time they spend um, learning about your business. Um, so get to know who it is that's going to work on your marketing and try to figure out whether they're a good fit for you. You know try to figure out whether you you, you would hire them ultimately. Um, when I had to think about this, the, the, the easiest way that I can sum this up, that's, that slide's got a bit ski whiff, but never mind. The easiest way that I can sum this up is, you know, you're, you're sold on the agency. You know, you buy what the agency's offering. Um, you sort of, you, you buy the ethos, you buy the approach, you buy the, the past performance, but you are really buying the people that are going to work on your projects. You are hiring in manpower, expertise, knowledge um, of the individual people. So make sure that, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that. So problem number one, no one talks about who's going to move the snake. Um, some practical things that to, to do to, to sort of help this. Um, discuss exactly who's going to work on your project. We've talked about that, their experience and their expertise. Talk with the agency around why the agency think they're suitable. Um, that's a good way of, of getting the agency to sort of say, okay, we really think this account manager is going to work well because they've worked with a pharmacy, uh, a pharma business before. Um, a couple of points on availability. Um, if you go out and you hire people because they are available, you will get bad hires. And I can tell you that from experience of having done that. Um, if the agency is putting people in place because they are, have availability within the agency, again, that's a way of maybe not getting the best fit available. Um, it should be somebody who is uh, particularly well qualified or particularly has the expertise to deliver for what it is that you're after as a client. Um, a different way of using availability, you know, talk about um, what access you'll have to those key people, so that senior designer. Um, are you actually going to be able to talk to them on a regular basis? Um, talk, talk with the agency about how uh, that will work. Will it all be through an account manager? Is that what you want or would you like more direct access? Obviously accepting that you're not going to have a direct line to people like the head of design on a, on a regular basis. Um, agencies in the room. Your people are your business. You know, you've hired these great people. Where, you know, what, what, where's the negative in this? You know, get them in front of clients more often. Um, get them involved with, um, with the people that you work with. Show them the, the great expertise that, that you've hired in. Okay, problem number two. Counting small insects is difficult. Not sure what our size doing there. No, that's a small insect. Um, counting small insects is difficult. Um, so this refers to um, a, um, a thing that happens. Uh, oh, I know what slide should have been there. So every year at, um, at Chester Zoo, and this is covered on the Secret Life of the Zoo, there's this a fantastic piece of PR where Chester Zoo published that they're doing a stock check of animals, and there's 11,000 animals at the zoo. And every year it gets picked up by the BBC and The Guardian and national newspapers, and it gets splashed around everywhere that Chester Zoo are doing their stock take, doing their stock take with pictures of zookeepers uh, with clipboards trying to, trying to count various animals, right? So you can imagine if you've got two tigers, it's quite easy, right? And, and, and if there is only one tiger, then somebody should have noticed that a long time ago. If you are counting the butterfly house or the bug house, it's a bit more difficult. And there is a point where the counting seems to get a little bit loose at the point where you're you know, trying to sort of add up all of the, uh, the butterflies and the mantises that are around in the, in the insect house. Um, and this is a sort of similar situation, I, I would say, to, um, to agency reports and the reports that are put in front of clients, right? So if you are an agency or uh, you work with an agency currently or use HubSpot dashboards, you might have something like this. Maybe it's in Clipfolio or it's in Databox or it's in Google Data Studio or whatever it is that you use internally or with your agency. You've probably got a report that looks something like this uh, and can be um, investigated. 
I, we, we did a lot of work, and the editor and I worked with, on, on these reports, and we produced what we thought was, it, this is just one that I've grabbed, but we produced one that we thought gave clients everything that they wanted to see at a glance. You know, something that they could load up in the morning and they could check their key figures and be happy with, with their marketing. Having now reflected on that uh, and, and done the work and talked to clients, I would say that dashboards like this that aren't actually used on a day-to-day -day basis, as in you're going in to investigate to find the answer to a question, they're borderline meaningless and um, they, they don't provide, they, 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 don't, um, they don't fulfill the purpose for which people think they have been um, created for. And I, I've got some data to support that as well. Uh, the flip side of this, by the way, these are really useful if you've got a question. So if you're going after a, a specific question and you want to know the answer to um, you know, how much traffic comes from Facebook or, or something even more complex than that, these are great. But if you just want something that summarizes performance, um, I would argue that these aren't that great. And the reason why I would say that is we went out to clients after having done the work to, um, to develop these and great, get these very sophisticated dashboards ready. And we asked clients a load of questions, but the only one we needed to ask was, how often do you look at your dashboard? And 80% said never or almost never, um, because they, were, they, they, they weren't providing anything of use. They weren't providing the answers that, that clients actually wanted to see. So in this scenario, I think there's a better way of doing it. I think there's a, a better way than the sort of the complicated, um, the complicated mix of figures that, that we think are important. Um, find one to four things that you really care about as a client. Make sure your agency know what those one to four things are. Dashboard them and discuss them every week. Right? So dash, by dashboard them, it could be literally on an A-board uh, behind your office desk and it update it every morning when you come in. Or it could use something more significant like Clipfolio. But just pick the one to four things that you really want to see improved. You know, think about why you went after the agency in the first place. Think about those one to four metrics that you really want to see. Um, put them on a dashboard and then just only discuss those. I would argue that one of those four things uh, needs to be sales, either revenue or volume. Now, if you are a marketer who at the moment um, is not judged on sales and revenue, I wouldn't necessarily go to your boss and say, please give me another target. I'm really interested in being judged on sales and revenue. But at some point, probably during your career, um, you are going to be judged as a marketer on sales and revenue. The two are getting closer and closer. HubSpot have brought them closer and closer. It's probably likely that at some point you'll be looked at in terms of the revenue that you generate as a marketer. It's no bad thing to start personally yourself looking at how you think your activities have an impact on the end sales that your, your business is generating. Um, uh, if you don't talk about one of your one to, point, one to four things each week, just get rid of it. It's not that important. You know, when you, when you put it on there, I'm sure you thought it was, but if it's not coming up in regular conversations with an agency, it's just one of those dashboards. It just doesn't matter to you that much. Yeah, I know, you, I know you, you thought it did, but the evidence is there if, you, if you're not discussing it with an agency. And again, agencies, um, complete clarity on how you're going to be judged by your clients. Uh, and that is a challenge in the agency environment, knowing exactly uh, what it is that clients want from you. If you implement this sort of system, you're going to know exactly what clients want, exactly the four, up to four metrics that, you're, you want to see, that clients want to see improved. Um, what's not to love about that? You know, that's a, that's a, a perfect scenario for, for an agency in my mind. Okay, final one. Baby rhinos don't appear by magic. This isn't going to be a section about the birds and the bees. Um, Rather, this is going to be a section about Chester Zoo's uh, brilliant conservation breeding centre. So, um, as I say, I'm from, I'm, not, I'm from not far from Chester. I'm lucky enough to um, be able to go to Chester Zoo quite often with my young lad. Um, 
you can't go to Jester Zoo with a gap of more than sort of three months or so without there being another uh, baby animal appear, right? They're, 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 I can't read that on the screen, but their conservation program um, and structures are great. It's an inter-zoo thing, so it's all done with uh, linked zoos in Europe to try to protect endangered species um, and, and put some good back into the environment rather than the, the negatives that we've, we've all heard about over the last few years. In particular, uh, the baby rhinos are... Have been, um, have been great over the last few years uh, at the moment. I think there's two there, but they have uh, successfully bred at several endangered rhinos, and then they've gone out to other zoos throughout Europe, uh, and uh, the plan is to take some back into the wild as well. So the conservation programme is, is excellent. The reason why it's excellent, and that bit talks about it in a bit more detail, is it's structured. It's a process, there's a plan, there's inter-zoo um, dependability, there's um, trained experts who are on it, and they all follow this structure of getting um, these endangered animals uh, populations up, and they follow it again and again and again. Uh, and I, I'll come back to this, if you, if you do good things more often, you end up with good results. And yet, uh, in 2015, um, when there was a survey around businesses who use structures and processes, 63% um, of businesses said they only occasionally had documented processes, and only 4% said that they always had documented processes. And I would say that is probably fairly um, representative of the agency world. Processes within the agency world are, are, are complicated and sometimes difficult. Um, Yet, structure and process is a huge part of agency life. Um, you know, if, you are, um, if you're client-side uh, and you've not worked with an agency or you've not seen the inner workings of an agency, um, a, lot of it a lot of it revolves around structure and process. Uh, and the way I'd, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to think about it, again, if you've not worked agency-side, um, is you know, how difficult is it to stay on top of your own marketing or your own sales, or if you're an MD, to stay on top of everything it is that you, you deal with within a business. It's really bloody difficult. Now imagine doing that 10 times over, 50 times over, 100 times over if you're a big agency. It's impossible without structure and process. Um, instead, if, if, if you don't have that uh, as an agency, then you, you, you're adding to this almost instead of, instead of taking it away from, from clients. Um, marketing is a, a chaotic discipline. Um, you know, by its very nature, there is lots to do. There's lots of ideas. It's creative. It's based on spark and, uh, and ingenuity. Um, Agencies provide order to that chaos. Um, they should provide structure and give you a, a, a basis to succeed and to, to launch your marketing forwards. Um, so problem three, baby rhinos don't appear by magic. Um, start to ask questions about agencies that you look at or about your current agency around how, how work's organized. So uh, are they agile? Um, did you use something like Asana? How do they manage projects? They have somebody dedicated to it. How is the agency going to organize all the work that runs through the agency? How is it going to prioritize? Um, how is your work going to make it to the top of the pile and be done on a certain time scale? Um, What's your process for onboarding as a client? It's a good starting point. So did the agency have a process? The agency might not know these off the top of the head. That, you know, it, that's fine. Um, you might need to go away and, and think about it or bring back a document. Um, that's absolutely fine. You know, I wouldn't expect any agencies to, but at least by asking the question, you've both started to think around what that process could be. Um, Describe your ideal scenario to the agency, you know, tell them where you want to be, um, and then ask for the sort of route map, right? What are we going to do first, second, third, fourth, fifth? What's my, what's my rough plan? You know, we don't need to necessarily stick to it. Gantt charts are dead, as we all know. Um, but what is the rough plan that we're going to follow over the next sort of 12 months? Um, agencies, um, now's the time to do this, if you haven't already. Um, process and structure will really help your business to fly. You know, if, imagine if everything that you did was all documented and new people who came into the team could just follow it straight away. Maybe it already is. But if you could get new people into the team doing it again and again and again, new clients just follow it, an established structure and process, fantastic. You're going you're gonna to fly and grow like anything. And, and agencies that, that grow really well have, have got this nailed.
Um, so just in brief summary, the, the, the three that we've looked at before I, before I finish. Um, no one, no one talks about who's going to move the snake. Get to know your agency team as if they are employees, because that is essentially what they are. The people that work for the agency are the people who are going to be doing the work on your marketing. You know, don't leave, don't leave it to chance that they're going to be suitable to do the work that you want them to do. Um, counting small insights is difficult. Um, if every if every metric is important, then no metric is important. Just pick a very limited number of metrics that you want an agency to focus on and accept that they're the ones that they're going to work towards. And again, that will make the relationship nice and clear for everybody. And baby rhinos don't appear by magic. Doing, thing, doing good things more often needs process and structure. It's impossible without it. Anybody who does good things, athletes, successful business people, structures and process are, are the backbone to it. And they're especially the backbone to agency life. Um, if you want a bit more on that, um, while I was prepping this, uh, I came across a great blog from Cluid um, on, uh, on uh, his White House SEO website. Um, if you just search for White House SEO, how to hire a digital marketing agency, um, there's lots more on this uh, from Cluid uh, with, with his research of what's involved and what needs to be. Really great read, would really recommend it. Um, I'll be around until late today. I'm, I'm staying for Cluid's talk and uh, I'll be around after that. So any more questions while I'm here, um, feel free. If not, those are my contact details. Thank you very much. So do we have any questions for Sam? There must be some curiosity about the agency world. Now's the time. I'm around afterwards, like I said. Okay. So if, uh, if you want to talk to me afterwards, uh, feel free to grab me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if, you, if you follow a Gantt chart, right, so Gantt charts, the, the, the process of a Gantt chart, uh, Gantt chart, there's a very famous story about Gantt charts, which if you read the book on, um, on um, uh, whatever the other process that I just mentioned is, that I can't remember the name of, um, if you've read the book on that, you'll know that Gantt charts were first created in the First World War. So that's where Gantt charts c came from. And the plan was, right, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and then it'll all follow forwards and all run, all run smoothly. Nobody has ever followed a Gantt chart like that. Gantt charts just don't work like that. Gantt charts only work if they're active and you have a plan at the start and then the Gantt chart sort of moves round and you accept that things are a bit more fluid. But I don't think not having that overall picture, not, not having that overall picture is, is a worse thing than having it and moving it, if you, if you follow me. So... Yeah. So my whole point was, if you don't use the Gantt chart and you get it set, what? How do you then take the the, the potential clients and then take them in your hand and then show them the growth that, that you would be faster wanting? Yeah, I agree completely. So I think the Gantt chart shows the overall structure of where you want to get to and where you want to get from. But the, I, I would I would strongly recommend that there is there is some acceptance from both sides that what's going to happen in week eight on the as far as the Gantt chart is concerned might not quite happen in week eight uh, and it, you know it, that, that's the plan but actually if we get to week eight and the thing in week 12 is now more important we're going to move that forwards to week eight you know that's the that's the sort of agile approach i still think the gantt chart is useful because it shows you where the overall project is going people who try to follow it rigidly um and you know the thing in week eight has to stay in week eight otherwise it doesn't move i i don't think that works anymore and i think that's that's why i say you know the gantt chart is, is I, I, I think if you follow an agile methodology then that gives you the flexibility to, um, to address issues as they arrive. 
you have to be pragmatic and you, you have to look at um, a project as a series of changes that are not necessarily anticipated. Uh, the, the analogy I would put it is something like a, you're raising money, you, you go to the bank, you put together a business plan or you go to VCs and you, you put a lot of money into these, uh, creating these complicated spreadsheets and, and you know, everybody looks at them and you argue with them with the accountants and everybody else and it all gets signed off, it gets put in a drawer and it never gets looked at again. Right? I mean, it, it's, it's a good guide, but it's um, any kind of plan, I don't know if it was Churchill who said that, you know, falls apart when it meets reality or it meets the enemy or whatever it is. You know, it's a starting point. And it has to be many clients as well, from an agency's point of view, will re- refer back to an initial plan and say, well, we're not here yet. We're not, we're not doing exactly, yeah. And there's reasons for that. And you need to have an open relationship with the client. And it needs to be a partnership where things are fluid and they change and everybody's got to understand that and that's when a really good agency partner client relationship works well it's when it becomes rigid and everybody refers back to you know contracts and you said this and we said that then it all starts falling apart yeah question charles yeah So it, are there some roles which are just Right, I get so, it. So, so just repeating the question. Yeah. Um, at what point is that transition essentially dealing with, with uh, employees who might morph from, what, from either from being an employee to being... Uh, so instead of hiring an agency, you yeah. might go out and hire for that role within your business. Yeah, okay, so, so that is a difficult one. Yeah, I think it's when you've got to the point where you can see that person generating um, enough sort of... It, you don't want to look at every employee like this, I imagine, but it's when you can see that person making as much of an impact on your business if they're in the business full-time rather than paying for them through an agency. Um, but a good agency, too, will probably have that conversation with you. You know, I mean, we've had conversations um, at my past agency with plenty of people around, look, if, if we've done a really good job, you might not need us in, you know, 12, 18 months plus time. You know, you might be all set up and running and, and going with HubSpot. That's great. You know, we've done our job. You're successful. You like us. Um, wonderful. Um, but at that point, you might need to hire a marketing exec or you might need to hire, you know, a HubSpot expert to sit within the business. So it's difficult to put an actual figure on it, um, but it's a good thing to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. It's something that I, I think does happen regularly, especially with a, with a HubSpot type project. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's one of the things that we plan for with many clients from day one. We will do what we call skills transfer. So we'll take on a load because the client doesn't have the capability to scale, right? And we will, because we've got the team, we've got all of the people, we've got, we can do all the things they want to do. But over time, as the client grows, they might want to either take that, uh, some of those roles internally, or potentially even all of those roles internally, or to build a team outside of, of, of their organization, which they can manage and we can advise. And I think a good agency is completely comfortable with that. Yeah, they shouldn't be constantly trying to keep it internally, keep it under their control. A, a, an agency's goal should be the success of the client, yeah, because that's going to give you more referrals, it's going to give you more business, you know, everybody wins. Sometimes agencies can be a little closed on that and say, no, no, we, we just want to be the, the sole source of all of this kind of stuff. It's an interesting conversation. Okay, okay. what we're going to do now... Um, break for coffee. One, before everybody runs off, 
it's one of the things I've actually asked a couple of times, it seems to work. There's a number of people in the room who might be looking for work. Freelancers, contractors, maybe people are going to be moving jobs. There's an awful lot of people in the room who might want to hire people. Um, it's sometimes difficult for the two to meet. This type of forum is actually quite a good place for that to happen. So all I'm saying is that if, you, if you're either in those groups, have a cup of coffee, hang out by the coats. It's a place, right? <laughs> Talk to people. And come back in approximately half an hour. I'll give a, I'll give a shout when we're all back in kicking it all off again. Thank you so much.